Hi, I'm Adam Sanford. I'm an academic life coach and professor in Los Angeles. And I'm Dinur Bloom. I'm a college professor in Los Angeles. And this is Learning Made Easier, a podcast where we discuss how we learn and how we teach and how they overlap. Welcome back to Learning Made Easier. This is episode 139, how to be assertive about your boundaries and needs without being mean about it. In episode 128, we talked about being assertive. And in this episode, Denor and I are going to follow up on how to set and assert your boundaries without being mean, which seems to be a concern for a lot of our listeners. For many people, asserting boundaries feels like it's automatically mean. After all, by setting a boundary, you're telling people they can't have or do something they want, right? And that's mean, isn't it? Well, yes and no. Is a mother telling a child not to touch a hot stove being mean or setting a boundary? How about a friend who says, I'm not really up for the party, but you have a good time? If you are struggling with setting boundaries, it's very likely you've never really learned how to set them, and you probably don't have any practice at setting them. And you're probably really afraid of making people angry or hurting their feelings. You don't want conflict. If that's the case, it's not surprising you might see setting boundaries as being mean. To put this episode together, Denor and I looked at several sources, which we'll link in the show notes, as we always do. And in this episode, we're going to talk about what boundaries actually are, the feelings people often have about setting them, how to work through those feelings, and how to actually set and keep to your boundaries. Now, what boundaries actually are, a boundary, first and foremost, is a way of creating space between you and your needs and desires and other people and their needs and desires. They allow you to be yourself instead of trying to be what someone else wants you to be or expects you to be. For example, I don't stay up late drinking because that's not fun for me. For college students, this can feel really, really scary to say because doesn't every college student stay up late drinking sometimes? But if you've decided that's not who you are, saying you're not going to do it is a boundary. It is also a statement of what you will and will not put up with. For example, I will not interact with people who make racist jokes. If someone makes that kind of a joke, you leave. Again, this can feel really scary if you've never done it before. You might get urged to go along to get along or overlook it because the person was just kidding. But if you have that boundary, you have a right to enforce it by leaving. Other boundary statements might sound like these. I will end this phone call if you continue to shout at me. Or I need time to think about that. Let me get back to you. Or I respect your opinion, but this is my decision and it's final. Or I'm not comfortable discussing that. Let's change the subject. Notice though, your boundary statements are about what you will and won't do. You can't set boundaries on what other people will and won't do. For example, you can't say, my ex-boyfriend can't come to your party. That's not a boundary. That's a form of ultimatum, and that generally does not work. But you can set the boundary about what you will do if your ex shows up to the party. If John's at the party when I get there, I'm going to leave. In both cases, boundaries are about being very clear about your expectations and what you will do if your boundaries are violated. Clarity is essential here. Saying, don't do that, isn't clear enough. 
you need to combine the request to stop doing whatever the boundary violating thing is with a statement of what will happen if it doesn't, and then hold to that statement if the other person doesn't stop. Hang up the phone, leave the room or the party, stop responding to texts, and maybe block the other person's number. So why don't we set boundaries? Because we're afraid of people getting mad or rejecting us. So let's talk about that issue now. So when we look at what people often feel about boundaries and about setting boundaries, what we find is that a lot of us, in fact, maybe most of us, were raised to be people pleasers. We were told from a very young age that keeping everyone else happy had to be our biggest priority. And that meant a couple things happened along the way to our ingrained people pleasing. First, we felt like we had to focus on everyone else's feelings at the expense of our own. And second, we got the idea that caring about our own needs or addressing them was somehow selfish and wrong. And this is why boundaries feel wrong to so many of us, because by setting a boundary, we're putting our own needs first. And for a lot of us, that feels wrong. It might even feel sinful, and it definitely feels mean. But it's not. It's just necessary. If you've ever flown in an airplane, you might recall the flight attendant saying during their safety speech that if the oxygen masks drop during the flight, you must put on your own mask first before helping others. Do not help other people until your mask is secure. Why? Because if you don't, you'll very quickly pass out from the lack of oxygen and be unable to help anyone, including yourself. The crux of this problem is many of us have been raised to believe we're responsible for everyone else's feelings, and that simply is not true. The other people in our lives are responsible for their own feelings, how they express them, how they manage them, and how they deal with them. It is not our job to fix anyone else's feelings. Now, are we saying that we can't care about other people's feelings? Absolutely not. Caring about others and how they're feeling, that's an important part of being human. But here's a thing about good values and good intentions. When taken too far, they can become damaging and toxic. There is a difference between caring about your friend's sadness and feeling completely responsible for it if you didn't cause it. So caring about it still allows you to say, honey, I can let you cry on my shoulder for an hour or so, but then I've got to go because I've got a class. You're giving your time, but you're also setting limits on how much of it you can reasonably give. Some people will be very upset with you for setting these kinds of boundaries. So it's important to remember, the only people who get upset with you for setting boundaries are the people who are getting something out of you not having any boundaries in the first place. When you first start setting boundaries, it can feel really weird and even bad, and some people will react badly. That's okay. That's not your problem. Now let's talk about how to work through the weird feelings that we have about setting boundaries, maybe for the first time in our lives. One of the best exercises I ever found for looking at the shoulds, you know, those feelings we have that say you should do this or you shouldn't do that, is to ask, if my best friend believed this should, would that be okay with me? And often we realize if it was our best friend saying, I have to make everyone else happy and my needs don't matter, we'd react pretty strongly and pretty negatively, right? We'd probably say, Jane, your needs absolutely matter, and it's not your job to make everyone else happy. Who the hell told you that? And it might take a while, but we would not let our friend live in that space where they were miserable all the time because they weren't making everybody else happy. So first, 
ask yourself, is your belief about boundaries reasonable or is it just something you were taught to believe? So would you expect your boss or your best friend or your teacher or your coworker to abide by that belief? And if not, then it probably shouldn't apply to you either. Now, I know a lot of people will respond to this with, well, that's other people, but I have to. No, no, you don't. There are not a special set of social rules that only have your name on them. I know it feels like there is, but there's not. We promise. That's not how it works. We're sociologists. We've studied this stuff. Social rules apply to either everybody or they apply to nobody in a group. That's just how it works. Second, you have to know who you are, what you want, and why you're important enough to matter. This can sound like a tall order, but it's also the best thing you can do to set boundaries with other people. Remember, your feelings matter. What you want matters and who you are matters. People who want to be friends with someone who sees themselves as less than or worthless are not good people and should be avoided. So when someone reacts badly after you've stated your boundaries, that's a good thing. It means you probably don't need to waste any more time on that person. They've told you who they are by getting angry about your boundaries. Finally, remember that saying no does not mean the same thing as being mean. It may feel mean to the people who are used to walking all over you, but that's a them problem, not a you problem. There's a joke about people on the East Coast being kind but not nice, and people on the West Coast being nice but not kind. Kindness in the joke meant taking concrete actions or concrete steps to help a person. Niceness was verbal sympathy that went largely unfollowed by meaningful action. Sometimes kind people can seem mean because they're not acting sympathetic, they're trying to fix the problem directly. Kindness is being clear and stating your boundaries. Niceness is pretending you don't have any boundaries. So now let's talk about how to set boundaries without being mean, okay? How do you set those boundaries that hopefully now you've been working on getting good with having? Here's some steps to take to set them and then hold to them. First thing is practice saying small no's first. Find something minor to say no to and just say no. In this scenario, no is a complete sentence. Don't explain it. Just say no and watch what happens. One of the sources that we used for this episode says, practice makes progress. I love that. And practicing saying no is an important part of that practice. This is something that you'll see sometimes when they talk about what to do on a first date. Find something to say no to and watch your date react. If they get upset with you for saying no, that means you don't want to go on a second date with them because they don't like the fact that you set a boundary about something like, no, I don't want ketchup on my fries. One thing you'll also find out from saying the small no is that people can manage without you and they usually won't hold your boundary against you. They'll think it's perfectly reasonable. And also by saying no, you're allowing other people to get some of the credit for whatever you're being asked to do. Instead of trying to do it all, you're giving other people the chance to do the work. Win-win. Second, stay firm and confident. Be direct and clear. Be specific and do not apologize for your boundary. For example, I can't cover your shift on Monday. Or I have other obligations on Wednesday, so I cannot make it to the meeting. Or I can't do that this week, but circle back in a couple weeks and we'll see what my calendar looks like then. This isn't being mean. It's stating your boundary, but you can still say it politely and kindly. You're giving them information about the request. 
in this case that the answer is no. The third thing is to trust your gut. We've said this before in other episodes, but we're saying it again. If someone is asking you to do something that sounds hinky or sounds like, I don't know if that would really be an okay thing to do, trust the way you feel and say no. And again, you don't have to explain, just state your boundary and say no. This means you don't have to be sharp or rude about it. You can smile sincerely and say, thanks for asking me, but I won't be able to make that on Friday. You don't have to snap at them and yell, no. Okay. And a lot of people think that any time you say no, you're being mean. But if I just say, you know what, Denor, I can't get together on Monday. Sorry. Could we make it another time? That's not mean. That's just letting, that's just letting Denor know Monday is not going to work for me. Fourth, let go of what people will think of you. Yes, this can feel really hard, but the fact is, you setting a boundary makes it easier to be friends, coworkers, or classmates with you. People know what you will and will not accept, which makes interacting with you a lot easier. And if people are offended at your boundary, that probably means they were enjoying how easy it was to push you around when you didn't have one. Respect yourself more than other people's views of you. Fifth thing is to keep it short and sweet. Just say, no, I can't do that this Monday. That's enough. You don't need to explain your no. Remember, saying no is enough. Sixth, be clear about what you mean when you say yes. It means the thing you're saying yes to lines up with your values, your priorities, your energy, and your available time. Knowing that something you're being asked to do doesn't line up with one or more of these things makes it easier to say no, as well as to know your own requirements for saying yes. Respect yourself, remember and do not bend from your standards. You're worth it. Finally, Denor found a technique called ASSA, or ASA, when responding. And ASSA stands for alert, state, sell, and agree. So you start by alerting the individual that you need to talk to them. Then you state your issue by revealing to the person what the problem is. You tell them why it's an issue. Then you sell the advantages to them for acting better towards you. For example, you'll seem professional. And then agree. Seek agreements for them doing things differently in the future and adhering to your boundary. So we're going to give you an example. I want to make it clear in advance. Denor is not actually late about anything with this podcast. We're just using this as an example. Okay. Denor, I need to talk to you. Sure. What's going on, Adam? The last two times we've gotten together for recording, you've shown up a half hour late. And that's an issue because I have office hours for my students at 1 p.m. And I really can't bend on that. Oh man, I didn't realize I'd been that late. Yeah, it would help me if you could make sure we can start on time from now on, or else let's change the day to a different day when we both have a little more wiggle room. Absolutely, we can talk about that, not a problem. How about after this recording session? Great, I appreciate you being willing to work on showing up on time in the future. Now notice what we just did here, okay? I stated, I alerted the individual, Denor in this case, that I needed to talk with them. And then I stated the issue. You've been late the last couple times, and that's making it a problem because I have to go to office hours after we record, and I don't have a lot of wiggle room. And then I say it would really help me if we could start on time from now on. And for my friend Denor, that's going to be enough because it matters to him that, that I get to things on time, right? And then finally, I tell him I appreciate it, and I reinforce that we're going to work on showing up on time in the future. He gets me to agree with it by saying, hey, we can move it to a different day or a different time. So setting the boundaries doesn't mean total inflexibility. It means you think of alternate ways sometimes. So now for our experiences with setting boundaries, the way I feel 
like I said, boundaries a lot with people is when I deal with letters of recommendation. Because I often ask my students to give me about two months to write a letter of recommendation because it takes time to look through a student's file to see the papers they've written to look through the grades they've earned through me and or other classes because I genuinely do not remember my students grades. But I've had students trying to ask me for letters within one or two weeks of the due date, and that is simply not enough time for me to write a strong letter. And so I've had to tell my students to give me between one and two months, ideally closer to two, so that I have enough time to go through their materials and to put the shine that they deserve on their efforts. And the first time I tell a student, I'm sorry, I can't write you a letter because there's just not enough time, can feel mean because sometimes my no can be misinterpreted as the student thinking they don't deserve the letter, when really the case is I need more time to adequately write a good letter to highlight their strengths so that they can hopefully get into the program or earn the scholarship that they're applying for. And I had the hardest time setting boundaries at first. I am totally a recovering people pleaser. And I found at first that the quote unquote boundaries I was setting were actually the kind where I'm saying, you can't do this anymore. And that's not going to work. You know, telling other people what they're allowed to do or not allowed to do and trying to make them change that never goes well but what does work is saying if someone's making homophobic jokes i'm not going to be here and then leaving if another joke is made and often when i would do that that embarrassed the person who had told the racist joke or the homophobic joke or whatever because there were other people not just the two of us in the room and it was their own behavior that they had to ha that they had to apologize for i didn't make a scene i just stated my boundary and then i acted on it when it was violated I often got apologies from the offender the next time we were co-present or I would get an email from them saying, man, I totally screwed up. You know, you've made it clear to me that this isn't okay. Consequences and penalties, like I'm leaving, I'm not talking to you, I will not respond to you, that can get people's attention and it can often create behavioral change as a result. Nowadays, when I need to set boundaries with students and colleagues, and I don't have to do it very often because word has gotten around, you know, don't, don't play games like this with Dr. Sanford, it's not going to work. But when I do have to set boundaries, they take it pretty well and we can move forward. And, you know, think, thinking about your uh, letters of recommendation, Denor, one of the boundaries I often have to set with students is I am not tenured and I am not on the tenure track. And that does matter when they're getting letters of rec. So I set a boundary that is if you did not get at least a B plus in my class, don't ask me for a letter of recommendation. Because the combination of your grade that is not stellar with my status as a non tenure track person might actually harm your application. So in your case, you should go to a professor who is tenured to get a letter of rec from them. And when I, and it's not a huge explanation of the no, but this is a, a cultural thing in higher ed that a lot of students don't know about. So I just give them a heads up, you know, I'm not an appropriate writer for your letter of rec. Go talk to Dr. Smith, who has been here for 25 years and has been tenured for, you know, 22 of those 25 years, right? And if you think of setting boundaries as giving information, it helps because then you don't feel like you're being, you know, a big meanie by saying no, you're saying that's not possible for me. It may be possible for Dr. Smith. It may be possible for Dr. Bloom. This is not something that's possible for me. You're asking the wrong person. Go ask the right person. They might be so-and-so. And that's hard, but you'll find that it's worth it because once you start setting boundaries and saying, nope, can't do that, sorry, 
Sometimes you can say sorry. It's okay. But you don't have to apologize all over the place. You don't have to say, oh my God, I'm so sorry, but I can't absolutely know. No, just say, nope, sorry. Can't do it on Saturday. Maybe, you know, maybe John can do it. Give them options, but still set the boundary. This is not something I'm going to be able to do. That's been my experience now that I've learned how to set boundaries better. And for both teachers and students, we've talked a lot about practicing setting boundaries and practicing saying no to small things. It's a good thing to be able to practice. And again, when you're setting your boundaries, you're valuing yourself, you're valuing your time and your energy, and you're saying, I can do this, or I cannot do this, or I will not put up with this because it does not align with what I believe in. So practice with small things first. So that's what we have for you in episode 139. If you're finding this podcast helpful, please share it with your friends. We're always hoping to get new subscribers so we can help more people. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Android, and we're hosted on Blueberry.com. We have decided to no longer publish this podcast to Spotify, so if you found us there, please take a look at other podcast apps instead. Also, we would appreciate it if you wrote a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to join us next week for episode 140, when we'll talk about trauma-informed teaching. You've been listening to Learning Made Easier, a podcast about how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. We want to say thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon who make this podcast possible. If you want to support us, please go to www.patreon.com slash learningmadeeasier. We look forward to seeing you next week.